the Underdog Podcast from SB Nation and Underdog Dynasty. Welcome to another edition of the Conference USA Underdog Podcast here on UnderdogDynasty.com, SB Nation's home for G5 football. Uh, as we keep rolling through the offseason, we've been doing this little series where we do a deep dive into each of the teams within Conference USA, talk about uh, 2018 in review, what they've been up to during the spring, and kind of what they've got moving forward through the eyes of someone who covers them a little bit more in depth than, uh, than we maybe do, as we kind of tend to focus on all the other teams within the league. Joe Londrigan here with you once again with my good buddy, Eric Henry, who I understand you are enjoying the beautiful South Florida weather that you like to, uh, you know, bust me so hard about. Uh, how's that going for you? I'm sorry, man. You know, you're up there in Portlandia, and that comes with its own share of uh, that's its own set of pleasures. But down here, all we've got is, you know, the beach and the weather. So, it's a it's another beautiful day down here in Broward County. Not too hot, no matter on the patio as we record this podcast. You know, I I can't complain too much about living in Portland, seeing as we have uh, some of the best beer, some of the best coffee, and uh, you know other other good ingestible things that we don't have to dive too into right now. But uh, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, I, I wouldn't. I have no idea what you're talking about, Joe. I wouldn't know anything about that. So that that's all you up there in the Pacific Northwest. No, of course. Yeah, no. I know you don't know what I'm talking about, Eric, right? Um, but uh, with that, we'll move on to the football stuff. And our guest today is a great one. He is the Emmy Award winning sports director of KTSM 9 News in El Paso, Texas, Mr. Andy Morgan. You can also hear him as the play-by-play guy for UTEP football when those games are on the ESPN family of networks. And of course, you can follow him on Twitter at Andy Morgan TV. Andy, so excited to have you on the show today, sir. Awesome. I'm excited about it as well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, when we usually have these on, basically just what we kind of do is uh, Eric's got some questions for you, and then I have a few questions for you, and then we'll we'll start winding down the show. So, Eric, if you want to kind of jump into it, we'll just dive into, I believe the first thing you wanted to talk about was the quarterback situation with uh, the UTEP Miners and, and what they have going on. Yeah, Joe, you pretty much nailed yeah. it, Andy. So. So pretty much, you know, in my role with SB Nation Underdog Dynasty, I primarily cover FIU. So I'm, most of my days are spent at the stadium with the team. And, and I haven't had a chance to really watch too much UTEP football. But one of the things that's really stood out to me uh, is a guy I watched at the JUCO ranks, and that's Kyle Oxley, who Joe can tell you I'm a, I'm a huge fan of him and, and, and his play. So let's just start there. Kyle Oxley and Brandon Jones, I mean, what's the quarterback situation there at UTEP right now? I think right now that they it's probably much of the same as it was last year, although you had Ryan Metz in the mix who has since graduated, and he's actually uh, a little bit of a – not sure if he's going to be a graduate assistant this year, but he was actually there at the spring ball uh, coaching the quarterbacks a little bit. But I think it's still kind of the same thing that uh, when Kai kind of entered here spring ball uh, last year, they want him to be uh, the guy. They like his athleticism. I think he they fit um, – he fits exactly what they want to do as far as Dana Dimmel's offense and, and what uh, the offensive coordinator, Mike Canales likes to do, uh, which is kind of spread you out, which, you know, kind of in turn opens up some running lanes and uh, a guy that can beat you with his arm or his legs. I think the biggest thing last year though, for, for Kai was just, uh, he just wasn't healthy by the end of the year. I mean, he had two ankles that were just completely shot. He had to have uh, off season surgery, but uh, was able to, get that done, I believe, in the winter. So he was, you know, full go and, and said that he was 100% uh, 
uh, throughout spring ball. So I think that he's the guy um, and they would like him to be the guy. Now, with that being said, uh, they're not going to sit there and tell you that, you know, Dana Dimmel would say that, Hey, this competition is, is wide open. They're very much believers and, you know, competition is, is going to breed, uh, you know, better play from the quarterback position. And, and Brandon Jones is definitely a guy that, that they like and they feel comfortable with if Kai is unable to stay healthy uh, for a full season of, of throwing him out there. Um, and I think that's just the main thing when you have a guy like Kai Loxley who runs around as much as he does, uh, he's going to take some shots. He's going to take some lumps there, you know, throughout the course of a season. So it remains to be seen if he can stay healthy for a full year, but uh, he looked good during spring ball and, and seems to be healthy. Yeah. So that kind of leads into a follow follow-up question of mine. Uh, and small things considered, you're right. You know, it does kind of seem that Kyle Lockley's kind of been given uh, maybe the upper leg in terms of that quarterback competition there. But is there any chance, and Kai did have some struggles passing the football, and I know Ryan Metz last year had a game where he threw for 313 yards against North Texas. Um, mm-hmm. Is there a chance that UTEP could benefit from a two-quarterback system where you use Kyle Lockley's athleticism, maybe Brandon Jones is a little bit more developed as a passer? You know, I'm – I'm of the mindset that if you have two quarterbacks, you don't have one. But I know that there's a lot of coaches, and, and UTEP staff might be one of them, uh, that completely disagrees with that whole sentiment. Because last year when they uh, opened up against Northern Arizona, there was a huge question, okay, well, who was going to start? Was it going to be Ryan Metz or was it going to be Kai Loxley? And, and we were told throughout uh, all of fall camp and leading up to that first game of the season that, one of one guy's going to start, but they're going to play both of them. Um, and that's exactly what happened. Ryan Metz ended up getting the start, uh, but Kyle Loxley played just as much, if not more, in that game uh, against Northern Arizona as Ryan Metz did. So um, could there be a benefit? Yeah, maybe. I think Brandon Jones is probably your more prototypical, you know, drop-back passer. You're not going to see him run around as much as you see uh, Kyle Loxley run around, maybe a little bit more accurate with the ball. Uh I think with Kyle Loxley, though, it's just, man, he just gives you that big play home run threat every time, you know, he takes a snap under center. I mean, you have to have someone, uh, well, once again, as long as he's healthy, you have to have someone spying on him, making sure that, you know, if, if you send four guys deep and, and you don't have anyone checking down on, on Loxley that he's going to take off and run for 20 yards and, and get out of bounds. And that's, that's going to be the, the key for him is, knowing when to, to lower the shoulder and, and when to get out of bounds or, or just slide to the ground. But uh, to answer your question, I, I think this year in particular, as much as they like Brandon Jones, I think they would probably like to see it be more of a Kai Loxley situation where he kind of steps up and he is the guy and, and Brandon kind of plays that role of a backup. And, I, and, and the way that we've kind of seen it with Loxley and, and not being able to stay healthy at times. I mean, Jones is going to get his opportunities at some point this season. Uh, so that he'll probably continue to see reps with, you know, the ones just because you never know what can happen in the course of a season. And to kind of transition to the running game here, you've got Quadris, Wadley, and Trayvon Hughes. And, you know, for just to put a reference here for our people listening on the podcast, Wadley finished with a, just a shade over 600 yards, 627 yards last season, and he just finished with 320 yards. My question for you, Andy, is their success or lack thereof, how much of that was a product of opposing defenses not respecting the pass? Um, I think a lot of it – last year, 
I think especially – I think a lot of people would have liked to have seen UTEP run the football more than they actually did. Uh, you saw Quadras Wadley. I mean, he had uh, some games. I mean, UTEP's, you know, lone win, he, he had a, a big game. And, and, and people look at that and just like, well, why isn't he getting the football a little bit more? And Trayvon Hughes is another guy, completely different type of runner. He's a guy who's a converted, you know, he was a start out at the program as a linebacker, and now he's playing running back. So, I mean, he's kind of your – your thunder, if you will, and Wadley has that uh, that lightning effect. And we also saw Wadley uh, be very dangerous as, as a wide receiver. I think that was something that uh, kind of got underplayed, uh, had a nice uh, touchdown reception, I believe it was, against uh, North Texas. So he's a guy that, uh, you know, kind of gives you that big play ability as, as well. And then, uh, you know, another guy that, that they have coming on coming in is a, a true freshman this year is Deion Hankins. Not entirely sure how much he's going to play. We kind of posed that question um, to Dana Dimmel throughout spring ball. Is where does Deion Hankins kind of fit in this offense? Uh, we have since learned that uh, UTEP's third running back, a guy that they thought would kind of play a bigger role this year, uh, Josh Fields, um, according to sources, has, has entered the transfer portal. So we're not entirely sure if he's going to be back. So maybe that kind of opens up the opportunity for for Hankins to do a little bit. And for those, you know, I'm sure people unfamiliar with what Hankins did. Uh, he was a uh, El Paso prep standout. uh was a running back at nearby high school uh, in, at Parkland. And this is a guy who broke the city rushing record. I mean, he just has what it takes. He had multiple power five offers as a junior and kind of at the beginning of, of his senior year, uh, schools like Utah, Arkansas, um, New Mexico, obviously, you know, uh, some other, um, I'm, I'm definitely, I think Oklahoma State. So there was definitely some power five offers there. And then, um, as well as some non power five schools like New Mexico and New Mexico State. And then and ultimately chose UTEP. But he was just so late in the game committing to a school that other running backs committed to Arkansas. They committed to Utah. They committed to Oklahoma State to where all of a sudden they pulled their offers from him. And he's just, a really good kid and, and thought that he got done dirty a little bit and committed to UTEP. Uh, Arkansas entered the uh, equation again at the very end of the recruiting season in February. And he said, no, he was just like, I committed to UTEP and I want to go to UTEP and signed at the uh, hometown school. And so he's another guy that could figure into the equation. And the, the red shirt uh, rule is, I think, benefited programs across the country, especially, especially non-Power 5 schools with a guy like that where he can play four games and still end up redshirting and coming back with still full four years to go. So uh, look out for him. He's definitely got a lot of talent. But, yeah, I think last year as far as running the football, I just don't think that they ran the football enough. And I think that's probably going to change this coming season, especially when you got guys like Wadley and Trayvon Hughes that have shown glimpses of what they can do on the field two things there about what you just said as far as your answer. And I've written in the offseason about how the transfer portal is really kind of uh, disproportionately affects G5 teams, especially Conference USA. You lose that depth, and you mentioned Josh Fields who's transferring out. And then also you mentioned Deion Hankins. I know Joe's going to talk about him as well as Mr. T.J. Goodwin uh, when he gets into his questions in a second. But uh, just to transfer here, you know, UTEP's a program under Sean Kugler and before that with Mike Price who – they had bowl game success, you know, but they've really fallen hard mm -hmm. times the past uh, few years. What's the level of enthusiasm around El Paso and, and just around the university, around minor football, especially, you know, with them for, for 
lack of a better phrase, being the only game in town. Yeah, I mean, I think as of late, obviously, I mean, you said it. I mean, they went winless, uh, you know, two years ago. They went 1-11 and last year, and even uh, Aaron Jones's last year, um, and of course, has gone on to do big things with the Green Bay Packers. I mean, even that year, he, UTEP didn't make a bowl game. So, I mean, it's been a long time coming for this for this team as far as trying to get back to kind of where they were under under Mike Price in 2004, 2005, uh, and 2010 uh, were all bowl seasons for, for UTEP, and the Sun Bowl was packed. They'd host teams like Texas Tech and Houston and, uh, you know, some, some fun Texas rivalries there where the Sun Bowl, you know, was packed. It's 56,000 people, and I think it's, it's tough now just because attendance numbers are, are definitely down. The university probably tries to downplay that um, a little bit. And I think attendance is, is one of those things where it's not just a UTEP problem. I think it's a problem really across the country and maybe more so even a college basketball program as opposed to college football. Um, but, you know, I think the thing for UTEP, too, is they get on these nationally televised games and there's 25,000 people in a stadium that holds up to 60,000 people and so it looks extremely extremely empty and, and even during our uh, you know ESPN plus or ESPN 3 broadcast all the camera angles are facing towards uh, what would that be the east uh, the east sideline which is where the sun hits or uh, sometimes even where the shade kind of goes to first and so that side is usually completely empty so it looks like UTEP is, is struggling to kind of get everyone on board. Um, I think with the new hire and Dana Dimmel last year, there's a new athletic director on board, even a new uh, basketball head coach. I think people are starting to get more excited, especially when they've seen uh, the way that they've recruited. They got a hometown kid and Deion Hankins to stay on board. Uh, Dana Dimmel's, what, first 10 days on the job, they get a guy uh, who tore up the junior college ranks and, and Kyle Boxley. They got him to, to come on board. So I think there's enthusiasm, but I think everyone's a little bit cautious of kind of getting excited too soon. I think everyone's just kind of like, well, let's, let's, let's kind of see what happens before we kind of go all in on, on, the, on the UTEP football team, at least uh, speaking of football, at least. And, uh, you know, I hope it, it, it changes you know, one and eleven to go from one and eleven to to win six games will definitely be a uh, uh, a tough test. I think it's doable, though, more so doable uh, in a non-power five conference like Conference USA than it would be if they were in the you know Big Twelve or, or something like that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. No, you know, it's an interesting point you make there about uh, the Sun Bowl and attendance because FIU faces the same thing. And actually, the point you make about the camera angles uh, is another good one. I, when FIU had a, had a bye week, I had a chance to catch the uh, Middle Tennessee State game, and I saw what you were talking about in which, mm-hmm. once again, the Sun Bowl is a very expansive stadium, and it looks less full yeah. than it actually is when you shoot that, that side. It's the same thing at FIU where at Ricardo Silva Stadium, the side they actually shoot is the 
would be the quote unquote um, visitor sideline, and that is yeah. always empty. But but once again, you know, like you said, it, attendance around college football it's not just uh, a UTEP thing; it's really a college football thing as a whole. Yeah. Um, and when you look but, at uh, the attendance numbers, even even UTEP's attendance numbers, I mean, UTEP's finished zero and twelve and one and eleven the last two years, and um, they're still pretty, you know still on that kind of upper echelon as far as attendance in, in the conference. So, you know, I think everyone's kind of feeling it a little bit in Conference USA. And just to finish up here, I'm going to throw a two-part question at you. One, um, if for people who are maybe listening to this podcast and aren't familiar with the El Paso area, what are the sports allegiances in the area, whether it be pro or college? Because um, obviously, you know, in that area, you may not necessarily be an alum of UTEP and then you may have maybe a Texas or, or I don't know, a UCLA allegiance. I'm just, just curious uh, as far as pro and college. And then the second question is, what is the level of fan confidence in Dana Dimmel right now? Um, I'll start with the the first part. Um, I think by far it is it is Dallas Cowboys country. I mean, I know that it's okay. probably an eight-hour drive to, uh, to Dallas, but there are a ton of Dallas Cowboys fans out here. We actually have a uh, – uh, a good relationship uh, with Mickey Spagnola, one of the uh, you know Dallas Cowboys beat writers, as well as Babe Laufenberg, a former Dallas Cowboy uh, quarterback who does uh, I believe it's the uh, radio uh, color job there, and um, they do a lot of stuff at our TV station at KTSM, uh, some analyst work and that sort of thing, and so they'll every once in a while come here um, as part of kind of like a fan appearance. They'll get on a one of the tour buses and. Uh, tour the state of Texas and areas that maybe, you know, the Cowboys haven't visited in a while. And um, I'll never forget Mickey Spagnola came here maybe two years ago. And there's just people lined up just waiting to meet him. I think there's a player with him as well as Rowdy, the, the team mascot. And uh, I remember coming away from that and Mickey telling me, man, I've never seen a bunch of crazed Cowboy fans like I have in El Paso. And so I've kind of taken that to heart, uh, you know, as far as the way we cover the uh, the Cowboys, just because there are a lot of Dallas Cowboys fans out here. Of course, uh, in El Paso, it's home to a AAA baseball team, the El Paso Chihuahuas, which is uh, the AAA affiliate for the San Diego Padres. So you'd think there'd be more Padres fans, especially because this farm system, they've won uh, four consecutive division titles. A lot of those players have since gone up and are playing with the San Diego Padres. you think there'd probably be more Padres fans uh, that's not t- typically the case. MLB is kind of tough with El Paso just because it's hard to pinpoint. But if I had to rank it, I'd say there's probably uh, the most Dodger fans. Most are Dodgers fans in El Paso. I'd say after that would probably be uh, Texas Rangers, followed by the Houston Astros. And then maybe, you know, maybe you throw the Diamondbacks in there just because the Diamondbacks are a short five-hour drive away from from El Paso. So those are kind of the uh, – the big pro sports teams, basketball-wise, like, you know, you, you get a lot of Lakers fans just because there's that, uh, you know, probably the same reason that you have a lot of Dodgers fans. L.A. is not too far from El Paso, and then um, a lot of Spurs fans. So that's what I would kind of say as far as um, pro affiliate, you know, affiliation in, in, uh, in El Paso. Um, and then getting to the second part of your question, back to uh, uh, Dana Dimmel and Utah football, I think that there is a lot of faith in him. Um, I think people – and I think that he re- came into a good situation. I know that sounds weird coming into an 0-12 program and 
walking in and, and it, it sounds weird that that's a good situation, but I actually do think it is just because I think that he was able to kind of get that first year pass. I mean, people knew that he wasn't going to come in and have his own guys to be able to do what he wants to do right off the bat. And I even think that very well could be the case in, in year two. I mean, I'd like to see them win more than one game. And I think that, you know, he would like to see them win more than one game. And I think it's also important to note, if you look at last year's schedule, I mean, they were in a lot of games that could have easily gone the other way. But we're talking about a team that, you know, hasn't won in, in quite some time. Um, so I think that there's confidence that, that he's taking the right measures and he's done a good enough job in recruiting and done the most with what he's had so far to where, uh, you know, I don't think, one, he's for sure not in, in any kind of trouble. I mean, I think that he has the full support of the administration. And two, I think that people are realistic here in El Paso and realize that uh, this wasn't just a come in, change a couple things, and all of a sudden this is going to be a team that's winning six, seven, eight games a year. I think people realize that this is something that's going to take a while to build and, and they want to build it the right way. Certainly makes a lot of sense. Andy, staying in that uh, that field of recruiting, we talked about Dion Hankins. Along with him, uh, another new addition that we're optimistic about for the Miners is quarterback TJ Goodwin. Both of those guys, of course, being three-star recruits, both from the state of Texas. Um, and then with Hankins being an El Paso native, like you mentioned, certainly some cause for celebration among the UTEP faithful there. What do you personally think is the ceiling for those two guys in particular? Um, I guess first with, with TJ, I think that it, it kind of remains to be seen. I think uh, another you know great thing in, in college football recruiting, I know this has been the way for, for a while, and, and you know we're talking about TJ, who is a guy that should be getting ready for the high school prom right now. And instead, he just completed his first you know uh, spring ball. So he's got a, a leg up when it comes to most freshmen that are that are coming in and you know learning day one when they got you know what 15, 16 practices before all of a sudden you're on the field and it, it, you're playing you're playing when it counts. Um, so I think that that was good for him to get into spring ball. I think that UTEP has the luxury of having Kai, having Brandon both there, both seniors that they expect to play. Um, but that's not to say that TJ comes into fall camp and lights it up. And, I mean, I don't think they would be afraid to play him um, at all. And it very well could be alluded to, you know, the rule as far as you're able to play four games and still redshirt. I mean, you might see TJ get thrown out there just to see what he can do. Um but still ends up being redshirt. I think in a perfect world, uh, UTEP is looking for, um, you know, Kai or Brandon to take a big step forward this season, uh, win the job, keep the job, play well, and, and hopefully have TJ be able to redshirt and then, uh, and then really be able to compete for the starting job in, uh, in 2020. And then I think same thing goes for, for Dion. In a perfect world, I mean, if he's ready to – go out there and, and compete for the job and win the job right now, I don't think they'd have any problem playing him early. I, I think, though, in a perfect world, they know they got skilled guys in Quadrez Wadley and, and Trayvon Hughes that they would like to carry the load, uh, maybe sprinkle Dion in there um, when they can in, in four games and still be able to redshirt him. That way, so coming back in 2020, I mean, 
you think about that, you got, you know, TJ Goodwin as well as uh, Dion Hankins, and that's your, your backfield right there, and they're both still freshmen in, in 2020. And then you think about, okay, well, what does 2020 look like, 2021 when they're sophomores? I mean, this is a team, uh, if those two guys kind of stay put and they keep everything intact, they could be really, really talented when those guys uh, come around to being juniors and, and seniors at some point. Certainly looking forward to seeing how those guys develop. Switching from the offense to the defense here, uh, that defensive unit was actually pretty steady last season, particularly against uh, pass-heavy teams uh, with the Miners giving up, uh, you know, compared to the rest of the league, not a terrible amount of total passing yards and yards per game. So, um, and it really seemed like they were kind of held back by the performance of the offense. Um, do you think that the defense is going to continue to be a, at least a somewhat reliable unit for this team next season? I think, it, I mean, I think that was the same case even when they went 0-12 in, uh, in 2017. I mean, they had guys like Alvin Jones who went undrafted as with the Ravens organization. He was kind of the leader on defense that season. And then, uh, you know, for an 0-12 team, they they played really well defensively, you know, by the surprise of most. And a lot of times, you know, the points that they're giving up were, were a lot of the times, you know, offense putting the defense just in impossible situations. I will say uh, this year remains to be seen because you're missing, you know, you're, especially the secondary. The secondary was always the key for, for UTEP and, and guys like Kahani Smith and Nick Needham. I mean, we got the NFL draft coming up you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, don't be surprised if you see Nick Needham's uh, name called a uh, uh, defensive back for UTEP, who uh, is the all-time leader at UTEP and, and pass breakups. Uh, and this is a guy that very few people even wanted to throw on uh, last year. So it's not like he had a lot of opportunities to really even do some damage. He only had one interception last year, but uh, I mean, <clears throat> you look at, you know, numbers put together by pro football focus, uh, across the country, Nick Needham had some of the best numbers as far as defensive backs. Uh, so they lose him. They lose uh, Kahani Smith. A.J. Hodgkins was another guy. He was a grad transfer that came in from Oregon. He probably won't get drafted this uh, this weekend, but will likely land as an undrafted free agent. So they're going to have to replace a lot of firepower. But if there's one thing that we've, we've kind of seen uh, the last couple of years, and, I mean, we're talking about two different staffs, too, uh, Mike Cox has come in, and he's the uh, defensive uh, coordinator there uh, now. I mean, they've been kind of able to survive uh, some graduations and some guys going to the NFL in years past. So I look for them to, to continue to just, you know, maybe it's more of a scheme than it is the actual players and the fact that they play aggressive and kind of a bend but don't break mentality. I think one thing that they would like to see uh, improve in, in 2019 is just getting to the quarterback. I think that that's something that they uh, for sure struggled with in, in 2017 when they went 0-12 and, and even last year. Uh, we're able to do it a little bit more, but a lot of that came from uh, A.J. Hodgkins. I think he had seven sacks on the year, so a lot of that coming from the, the linebacker position. They'd like to see kind of more uh, of a pass rush from the defensive line this coming year in, in 2019. Certainly makes sense. So uh, backing up a little bit, Eric kind of mentioned just the picturesque nature of the Sun Bowl itself and uh, 
you know, seeing all the the beautiful shots of it on TV. But as someone who's in there physically on a regular basis, uh, what's kind of the physical state of that place? And uh, in terms of, you know, facilities and press box, uh, all that stuff, I guess we're just kind of generally curious because I think uh, Eric and I both, that, that's one venue that we haven't had the chance to personally visit yet. So uh, what are we in for when, when we eventually make it down there? Yeah, well, it's old right now. Um, I will say that, but they just passed a huge, I don't even know if you call it a bond. That seems more of like city talk for like high schools and stuff, but they just passed um, this big deal where they're going to end up making all these renovations to the Sumble. It began last year. You saw a lot of cool uh, murals on the walls of, you know, past and, and current players on the walls. I think they did a lot of that and improved the concourse. At the Sun Bowl, the press box was actually supposed to be completely redone, and uh, it was supposed to be ready by this season. That has since uh, been pushed back to 2020. So uh, I think they're getting half of it done this year, half of it done in 2020. Um, so new athletic director, as I as I kind of mentioned too, uh, Jim Center has come in and um, known that he's got to do a lot of different things as far as athletics is concerned you know, not just on the field, but just from a perception standpoint and uh, getting a new press box and uh, maintaining the Sun Bowl. Cause I mean, it's such a, a historic stadium and it's uh, literally right there in the middle of a, of a mountain, basically etched out in, in a mountain. I think they know uh, that they have a beauty when it, when it comes to college football and, and stadiums there. And obviously would like to see it, uh, you know, filled up more and, and hopefully winning kind of turns that around. Uh, but, yeah, as far as the physical state of it, uh, the field is in, in great condition. It's that synthetic uh, turf that we've seen so many programs go to. That's in great shape. Uh, the weather in September, October, November uh, is absolutely gorgeous. Um, so it's a great place to watch a college football game on a Saturday. And for, uh, for members of the media, it's going to be even better in 2020. That's great to hear. Uh, so moving on to kind of talking about more so the league in general, I guess. The Conference USA teams in Texas, with the exception of UNT, have kind of had a rough go of it the last few years. So, you know, with that in mind and thinking about the different performance issues that both of these teams have, what do you think happens first? UTEP wins a bowl game or Rice wins a bowl game? Ooh, that's a good question. I'm just going to go based on, uh, based on last year. And uh, that was UTEP's first win, and and I forget even what the countdown was. It was something over 600 days, 700 days. I'm sure I'm completely butchering that, but I mean it was a uh, it was a long time coming for for UTEP to win a football game. And, and what was unfortunate is that it uh, it finally happened, and it happened on the road, happened at Rice. I know UTEP fans really wanted to uh, to celebrate a a win in. Uh, in El Paso and it didn't happen, but um, maybe also chalk one up to me being a homer, but uh, I'm going to go UTEP uh, gets to a bowl game before, before Rice gets to a bowl game. I think that's a pretty safe uh, guess, to be honest with you. I think the talent that they're bringing in is really exciting and, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Certainly plenty of reasons to be optimistic about what's going on with that program right now. Um, And uh, to kind of, wrap up with the last question i mentioned that uh el paso is on both of our kind of must visit lists when we do make it down there what's the one restaurant that we need to hit before we leave town man if you sit there and uh and and someone 
tells you Chico's Tacos, that's like an El Paso staple. That's kind of just like the one place that that everyone has to go to. It's just one of those deals. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, It's just kind of one of those things where you visit city to city. And I mean, if you ask people, it's just like, oh, I just got back from El Paso. They're going to ask you, well, did you did you get Chico's Tacos? So I definitely say you got to cross that off the uh, off the bucket list. No doubt about that. Um, but lots of uh, lots of great Mexican food here in, in El Paso, with it being so close to uh, to Juarez. A lot of authentic Mexican food. You can't go wrong really with uh, with anything here, especially kind of near downtown area. Uh, I'll throw a curveball at you. One of my favorites, uh, and that's just because I'm a I'm a huge fan of of red meat and a nice uh, ribeye or or fillet. Is uh, there's a steakhouse called Cattleman's. Uh, steakhouse um, and that's actually where uh, the Hyundai Sumble um, hosts their dinner uh, I'd say pretty much every year they go out to Cattleman's and uh, this past year we had Stanford and uh, and Pitt here and pretty uh, pretty amazing to see Cattleman's uh, feed you know uh, two entire football teams you know 70 plus guys on each team they do uh, a fantastic job there the steaks are great uh, I would definitely put Cattleman's on the on the list as well as Chico's Tacos. Feeding both of those teams had to imagine that took like a whole herd of cattle. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's what I was saying. I was I was I'm sure that took some some major prep time. So they they did a, an amazing job, and uh, you always go up to the linemen. That's how you that's how you know when something was good. You talk to the linemen. Uh, as a as a former player myself, I I, I always made it a point to to make friend with friends with the linemen because they always know uh where to eat how much of it to eat and 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 all that stuff so talk to a lot of the uh, stanford offensive linemen uh this past uh december and uh they definitely gave it the uh, seal of approval truer words have never been spoken if you need (laughs) (laughs) if you need the truth on food you ask an offensive lineman i love it no doubt about that Awesome. So with that, we will gonna, we're going to go ahead and start wrapping up here. I uh, want to thank our guest once again, Mr. Andy Morgan. You can find him again on uh, KTSM 9 News in the El Paso, Las Cruces area. And of course, follow him on Twitter at Andy Morgan TV and watch him on UTEP football broadcasts this fall. Um, Andy, can't thank you enough for being on the show. And, uh, of course, thanks again to our producer, Taylor Bauer, making the show sound good. And uh, kudos to uh, my co-host, Eric Henry. And with that, we will say keep uh, checking underdogdynasty.com every day for more G5 football goodness throughout the offseason. Follow us on Twitter at Underdog Dynasty. Like us on Facebook. And uh, if you want to, you can follow Eric on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. And you can follow myself on Twitter at J-O-E-H-I-O underscore. Happy football watching, everybody. We'll talk to you next week.